when Jesus called us to make disciples that make disciples, it's such a wonderful thing when God builds our faith, when he allows us to see special and powerful work in people's lives. More than a few years ago, I met a young man on a Sunday morning right after the worship service, and, and he told me that he just trusted in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I was just thrilled. He was kind and polite and just a, a really good guy. Well, the next Sunday came around, and, and I was just preaching my sermon. And in the sermon, I said, I think everyone should go to a small group. It's a place where you can care for one another, you can pray for one another, you could study the scriptures together and, and talk about God and start to build friends that turn into really turn into family. And then so after the sermon, he came up to me and he said, where do I sign up? And so we got him into a small group and, and he just started going. A little bit later, I thought, you know what, I, I want to get to know him a little bit better. And so I said, let's go out to lunch. And so we went out to La Capilla in downtown Torrance. Anyone know? If you know, you know. And uh, <laughs> it's a great place. And he said, hey, my apartment is nearby. Why don't you come by? I want you to, to stop by. And I said, okay. And so we went into his apartment. And it was a young man's apartment. And he had stuff, decorations on the wall and books and magazines and bookcases and on his coffee table. He was clearly a collector of these magazines. He was showing me some of the collector memorabilia. Um, and so we started to talk about that a little bit. I pulled out the Bible and I said, you know, we should respect one another. And some of these posters and pictures you have on the wall and books and magazines you have around, do you think that that's respect? That's respecting women. And we just kind of left it hanging there. And then he said to me, you know, my girlfriend said the same thing to me. <laughs> and so then I said, well, tell me about your girlfriend. And uh, so he started telling me, he said, uh, she moved in about uh, two years ago. We, we lived together. And he said she lost her job and she needed a place to stay, and so she moved in. I said, tell me about her, and he did. And then we looked in the Bible and, and talked about God's sexual ethic and that God's best is that we, don't, we aren't sexually intimate with someone who we're not married to. And we looked at those scriptures, and I could just tell things are, think, things are moving in his brain. So I said goodbye, and, and I went back to the office but I wanted to check in with him because it was a pretty tough, pretty tough conversation. So I said, how's it going? And he said, good. He said, right after you left, I just took everything off the wall, took all my magazines, and I threw them in the dumpster. And then he said, and I told my girlfriend that we can't live together anymore. They had long conversations about that, and he said, don't worry. He said, you pick out an apartment, and I'm going to help you pay for rent. I asked him, do you, you, want, do you have a long-term plan with her? And he says, I want to marry her. He says, and I promised her that. 
Well, the next Sunday came around and they both showed up to church and she looked mad. <laughs> so, and then she says, or they said, we want to talk to you after the service. So we went to my office and I closed the door and she looked at me and said, he's changed and I want what he has. I shared the gospel again with her, and she said, yeah, I trust in Jesus. And she said, he promised that we'd get married. And he nodded his head. And she said, I didn't understand at first, but she said, we're recovering alcoholics. And we know that taking a sip of alcohol is really a death sentence for us. And so she says, there's no way we would put beer in the refrigerator and just say, yeah, we're not going to drink that. And I understood where she was coming from, and I think you do too. A little bit later, they got engaged, and then we had a wedding. It was a simple one. It was actually in Yosemite Valley when we were doing a camping trip. And um, just right there in a meadow in the base of Yosemite Valley, right underneath the royal arches, half dome looking over us. It was a beautiful day. It was interesting because sometime later, he started serving, or they both did, got him into a spot where they could use their gifts and, and encourage one another, encourage the church. And he's a smart guy, simple guy, but he's a smart guy. And, he, and we went out to lunch as we were just having a disciple-making relationship. And he said, Dean, he says, I don't want to get too personal. But he said, if you're full-time in the church and Martin, our associate pastor, is full-time and we're paying for this warehouse and all the other stuff that comes together, he says, I was sitting in the back on a Sunday and I started to count the heads of the people and I know how much I give on a Sunday. He said, that doesn't add up. How does that work? So we looked at the Bible again, and I said, you know, the Bible says that we should give cheerfully. It's got to be something that you're happy about. You should give regularly, that, that we should give sacrificially. And it kind of came down to, well, how much? And I said, well, let's just take a look at some principles in the Bible. There's an Old Testament principle. It's called tithing. The tithe means tenth. And I shared with them that Janet and I, even before we were married, we would give as a base 10% of whatever God has given us. We just take that paycheck and add it up, and I don't add up things real good, but 10% um, is pretty easy, you know? And, and we'd, we'd give it to the church. And over the years, we've been able to give more. It's just an act of faith. It's an act of cheerfulness and in happiness, and it, it's, a, it's a regular thing for us. And I could just tell, as he was counting the people in the church and counting what our bills would be and all of that, I can just tell in his head, he's just he got this calculator going of how much would it be, how much would I give if it was a tenth. And then he, I could tell he was done, and he said to me, done. And that was what he did every Sunday. In those days, he wrote a check. And I think about him, them, 
and I think about how grateful I am that as we make disciples, we're not looking for perfection because no one can do that. That would be too hard. But I'm so grateful that as we make disciples, our faith grows when we see God changing hearts of people and how people go to God and say, it's done. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the second book in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus in chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 18 today and go all the way to the end of that chapter. The sermon notes are on your Nova Community Church app and at novachurch.org. And today we're going to finish up chapter 4 in our continuing series on the book of Exodus. And you'll find an interesting three or four verses in our text today. And uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, But let's take a quick look back just from where we're at. We start with the birth of a baby boy, and God shows us a series of supernatural events when every Hebrew baby boy was to be killed, thrown into the Nile. But this baby boy was spared. And not just spared, but he was given the name Moses, and he was raised in the king's palace. And at 40 years of age, Moses steps forward as the deliverer of Israel which is the right idea, but really the wrong time. And he gets in trouble, and he runs away. And he spends 40 years in the wilderness of Midian, and now an 80-year-old Moses is making some moves. And just when he's thinking, probably in his mind at that day, sort of just when he's thinking about retirement, he hears from God in the form of a burning bush talking to him. And Moses, he begins to argue with God, and God tells him, uh, telling God reasons why he's not capable of what he's being called to do. Now, a hot tip for those of you who are new to God, when you argue with God, you're going to lose, okay? (laughs) Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 4. Verse 18. Let me read this to you. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my people, my own people in Egypt, to see if any of them are still alive. And Jethro said, Go, I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are now dead. So Moses took his wife and sons put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt, and he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I And I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Now at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. 
Surely you are bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also all, about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord had, was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. This is God's word for us today. We have a lot of questions, don't we? A lot. And some answers according to the scriptures. But the overriding lesson in all of chapter 4, which really comes to this crescendo of that sort of strange verse in the end of the chapter, the overriding lesson here is this. When we're actively obedient to God in faith, it paves the way for God's power to flow. When our lives are characterized by obedient actions that are rooted in faith, God's power is evident. Sometimes instantaneously, as we will we'll take a look at in the beginning of chapter 4, sometimes instantaneously, sometimes spectacularly, and sometimes slowly, and other times, and maybe oftentimes, just quietly. And that's what we're going to see in Exodus chapter 4, that God's omnipotent power, his strength, his ability to be sovereign over all, always flows through obedience that's rooted in faith. You know, Garrett, our director of local missions, he did some nice work last Sunday in verses 1 through 17. And if you remember, there is the miracle of sticks and snakes. Moses says to God, um, they want, they're not going to listen to little old me. I don't speak well. The Lord says, do this. He says, throw your stick or your staff on the ground. And Moses obeys and the staff turns into a snake. And so Moses runs away from the snake. The Lord says, grab it by the tail. And so Moses comes back and grabs it by the tail. And then the Lord turns the snake into a staff. Then there's a miracle of leprosy. The Lord says to Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. He does. He pulls it out. It's white with leprosy. The Lord says, put your hand back in, in your cloak. He does. He pulls it out. It's healed. Then there's a miracle of the Nile, Nile River. The Lord says, if they don't believe you after the first one or after the second one, um, they'll believe in me after this. And so he says, get a cup of water from the Nile. And when you pour it out, it wasn't get a cup of water and it's blood in there. He says, when you obey and pour out that faithful action of pouring out, when it hits the sand, it'll turn into blood. Now I want to make a point here because we're going to see it here and we'll see it time and time again. If you read your Bible over and over and over again, you're going to get this. 
what the Lord does is he gives his word before he reveals his power. And as we step into obedience to his word, his power is revealed. And this is what we see all through the Bible. Where do you see God's power in these three miracles? You see the power when Moses takes action in faith. And you have your throw the staff on the ground. He throws the staff on the ground. It turns into a snake. Reach down and grab it by the tail. And for you snake lovers, people who like snakes, when you see a snake, if you love snakes, you run towards it, right? I mean, you want to see the snake. But Moses, what does he do here? He throws the staff on the ground. It turns into a snake. And you got to remember that Moses is, is an experienced shepherd. He's a man of outdoors. He's a man that's protecting the sheep from things like snakes, like dangerous ones. And so when he throws that staff on the ground, it turns into a snake. It's not a friendly one. And so he runs, the scripture says, because he's an experienced shepherd, and he knows. But the Lord says, quit running, come back, and grab the snake. Not by the safe part of a dangerous, because if you know dangerous snakes, you don't grab dangerous snakes by the tail. You never do that. But the Lord, testing his faith, testing his obedience, wanting to prove himself, the Lord wanting to prove himself to be powerful, tells Moses, grab the dangerous snake by the tail. Now, that's a moment between Moses and the Lord, is it not? Pick it up by the tail. What do you do if you're Moses? You don't want to do that, but you do what the Lord tells you to do. And then something spectacular, powerful, miraculous happens. Moses steps forward in obedient action and reaches out and grabs the tail. And what happens, the power of God becomes a staff as he picks it up. Now, what we're going to see and what God has asked you of Moses, both here and the rest of the book of Exodus, is the Lord is after something. It's obedience by faith. Now, let's be real. I don't always want to be obedient to God. We don't want to do that all the time. Am I right? That's not us. We, we want to go our own way. What happens when the Lord asks us, take this step? What happens when the Lord asks us, take this step, it's going to require faith. It could be dangerous. It's going to make you vulnerable. It may not make sense. People will laugh at you. People will say, you're old-fashioned, or you know, they're, they're just going to paint you in whatever they want to do, right? But God says, be obedient to me in my word. But we get anxious. We want to go our own way. We tend to justify our disobedience. You know, we try to nuance things a little bit. We'll live together. We won't have sex. It's like putting beer in the fridge of an alcoholic, right? That's what they said. What the Lord gives Moses in his excuses, in his delayed obedience in his blatant disobedience to the Lord, he gives them three signs. He gives them the sign of the snake. He gives them the sign of the leprosy being cleansed. 
And he gives them the sign of the Nile being turned to blood. And the ultimate here is a sign of the power of God is flowing through the channel of Moses' obedient action rooted in faith. That God is the great I am that I am. And once again, Moses, in all of his inadequacies, in his stunning history of failure, he has not lived up to his education, he has not lived up to his potential, and he has failed over and over and over again. And he has made foolish choice after foolish choice, and God still uses him. He will be used profoundly by God to overthrow the most powerful force on the face of the earth at that time through obedience rooted in faith. And when you think about your relationship with God, is your life marked by obedience rooted in faith? I'm not asking if you're perfect. And I'm not saying you shouldn't struggle because no one is looking for perfect obedience. Is your relationship with God marked for your heart's desire for even in baby steps to be obedient to God by faith in who God is and who he says he is? Every day, every single day, every single one of us are right where Moses is at. Every day we're at the crossroads of going God's way or going my way. And the Lord says to Moses, drop your staff, reach out your hand, put your hand in your cloak, take this cup of water from the Nile and pour it out. And Moses does it. He does it. And we see here that the power of God manifests. And when you, shrug, when you shrug off God and decide for yourself that I'm my own God, I'm going to do my own thing. I'll decide what's good. I'll decide what's right for me. Not only is that thinking dangerous, but you're grieving the heart of God. And all of this gives us some great context. And that's why we spent all this time kind of redoing what we had read about last week all of this gives us great context for these next strange few verses. God is telling Moses how all of this is going to play out. He sort of tells him beforehand, this is how it's going to go. Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Verse 22, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you, you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, it's a foreshadowing that's going to happen in chapter 12 of Exodus. We'll get to that in a few weeks. It's called Passover, right? It's called Passover. Verse 24. At a lodging place, so Moses says okay to God, and he makes his way, has his wife Zipporah, 
sons, he apparently had another son, and they put him on a donkey, and they're on their way to Egypt to do what the Lord has said. Verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Now, just stop there for a second. What the heck? Right? What, what is this? There's a lot we don't know. Now, let's stop and ask ourselves this. See, we don't know who the Lord is trying to kill. We don't know who the Lord's trying to kill here. We know it's either Moses or probably his firstborn son, one of those on the him side, who's, who the Lord's trying to kill. We don't know which one. I have an idea, and I'll share it with you in a second. This is a weird turn of events, though. I, I think we would all acknowledge that. What just happened? I'm glad you asked, so let's, let's, let's get going. Verse 24 again. At, the, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him, but Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are bridegroom of blood to me, she said, so the Lord let him alone. At the time, she said bridegroom of blood referring to circumcision. Now, there's a lot we don't know about this text. But there's plenty we know that'll help us. We know that the sign of the covenant given to Abram when he was, the Lord gave him the name Abraham, it's found, that, that sign is found in Genesis chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, go just one book to the left in chapter 17. If you're at your notes at novachurch.org, it's, it's there on your digital notes. Genesis 17, 9. Let's read this. It says, then, then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. And this is it. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you for the generations to come. Every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, from those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So, we read this and we have some understanding of circumcision and covenant. God gives Abraham and all his descendants the sign of the covenant relationship. Do we understand covenant well is a question that I came up with this week. And I thought, I think maybe the easiest one to understand is uh, have you ever been to a wedding or have you ever seen a wedding on TV or in a movie? Have you ever read about a wedding in a book? An example of the covenant relationship is what we see in a wedding. Well, most weddings. When a bride and groom turn and face one another and exchange vows, and they use, for the most part, covenantal language. In a, in a 
wedding that's a biblical covenant wedding that I would officiate. I would tell a man and I would tell a woman, turn and face one another. And we say crazy stuff for a wedding day. I mean, it's beautiful, but it's, it's, when you think about it, it's pretty crazy, right? It's maybe the most romantic day of this couple's lives, this man and this woman's life. And whether it's lavish, you know, you got a big white gown and a, and a rented tuxedo or suit and, and everyone's makeup and hair is done just perfect and there's a whole bunch of guests and they look really good and, and you know, there's going to be a great party with dancing or, or maybe it's just a simple wedding where there's not a big, great big crowd. Some of the favorite weddings that I officiate are just right under that stone pine out there. And it's just a couple and some friends. It's not real lavish in, the, in terms of uh, people and expensive gowns and things like that. But we say these crazy words in the vow. For better or worse. So we're acknowledging here when you say for better or worse that things could go bad. But it doesn't matter because for better or worse, I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. That's covenantal language. If everything I love when we say in sickness and in health, right? It's crazy language. It, it should be just all health because everyone looks so good usually, right? But in sickness, if everything I love about your vibrancy your energy, your physical ability vanishes tomorrow, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you and you're with me. When we say things like for richer or poorer, think about that. A lot of times in weddings, it's all about richer, right? It's all about good times at that wedding ceremony and afterwards. But we say for richer or poorer. And whether we're sharing a slushy tropical drink as we lay in lounge chairs on a white sand beach with blue water in an exotic location, or whether we're just dead tired and all sweaty, and we're sharing a warm cup of Hawaiian punch <laughs> in a messy living room with a baby screaming and crying in the next room. I'm not going anywhere. This is not about just richer. This is about the poorer times too. And these are very special, exclusive, covenantal words that we say. A man and woman face one another and covenant together. And there's never contractual language at a wedding. There's never, it's not, it's not a contract. It's covenant. It's I'm here with you no matter what. I'm entering into this biblical marriage covenant. Now that's this, well, what's the sign of a covenant, a marriage covenant? Well, we exchange vows, right? We turn face one, and then we exchange rings. Those are the signs of a, of a covenant. What's the sign of a covenant between God and his people? Circumcision. The shedding of blood. Because God is serious about us. 
He's serious about us knowing the weight of sin and the cost of sin. It's a very sensitive part of the body, right? And there's some blood to help us. His people understand the weight of sin and the beauty of forgiveness. And here's why I think this strange, what we would consider an out-of-place passage, is not so strange or out-of-place. God shows up here in this passage. We see he shows up to either kill Moses or his son, right? And we'd say, what? And, and, but the line that God has drawn is clear, and it's serious. See, God's not like some grandpa in the sky that takes you fishing and has like watermelon jelly ranchers in his pocket all the time for you. That's not God. Although we want to think of God like that. In the covenant, there's life and forgiveness. That's, I'll say that again because that's important. In covenant with God, there's life and forgiveness. Outside of covenant, there's judgment and death. And what this scripture appears to indicate is that Moses, in his disobedience and faithlessness, has chosen to raise his son outside of the covenant. We know that because his son is not circumcised, a sign of the covenant. And he's probably raising his son as a Midianite or as an Egyptian. And the Lord here has shown up to bring judgment and death because he is outside the covenant. So what happens? You look at the passage of Scripture. It's very graphic. It's, it's, it's right there. But my question is this. When the Lord says, hey, I'm, I'm here to bring death, um, Moses, what does he do? Oh, you don't read anything about Moses. He's passive. He just kind of shrinks back. He's like silent. But who's not silent? Who's not passive? The wife. Moses is passive. Zipporah is active. Now, that's a whole nother sermon. That's for a, a men's group here, okay? We'll talk more about that later. Moses is passive. Zipporah is active. And she knows exactly what to do, which I think is very interesting here. And, and I'll just say this. I'll make it more dramatic. And I, I think the drama is, is warranted here. She knows exactly what to do, and I think she's ticked off. That's why some of the action that we read here Zipporah knows what to do, and I think she's mad at Moses' passivity. So, see how fast she works here? The Lord shows up to kill him. She grabs that flint knife, right? Zip, 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 right? It's what she does. And she grabs that foreskin, that bloody foreskin, and it says here she touches Moses' feet with it. Now, that word touched in other places in the Hebrew language, it's thrown it's not just touched. So here's what I think. I'll be dramatic about it. So she gets the flint knife because Moses, the dad, won't do anything. He should have done something before to have the son in the covenant. 
She zip, 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 grabs that foreskin, and then she spikes it on Moses' feet. That's what I think happens. It's kind of funny for us. We just had Super Bowl, but I think that's what... I think that's what she does. She's ticked off because, and we know that, she says, surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. And she says that because it's about circumcision. Do you feel, though, the imminent weight of this situation? God doesn't play around with sin and disobedience. Inside the covenant, if you're in the covenant, there's flourishing, there's forgiveness. There's flourishing, forgiveness, there's, there's fullness of life. There's the grace of God. Inside the covenant, we can do nothing to earn favor with God. It's only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we're in covenant now. And outside the covenant, there's bondage. There's endless work. There's performance-based thinking. There's pride and self-centeredness. There's judgment and death, even for Moses or Moses' son. There's a joy when we follow the Lord and walk in obedience rooted in faith, and then we get to see the power of God. And this happens. This happens all the time. You're, You're praying for someone in your life that's far from God, And then you get the chance, God gives you the chance to share your faith with them, your life with them, and they trust in Jesus. And and you can't save them. You you don't do that. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so God just kind of uses you, and it's great. Or maybe you feed homeless and hungry people, and you prepare the food, and then you serve them the food, and you look in their eyes, and you give them respect, and you smile at them, and you're kind to them, And as they take that food and they walk away in the darkness of the night, in your heart you whisper a prayer that they would be protected tonight. And God works powerfully. Maybe you have a church friend that's struggling with a sin issue. And so you pray and you ask God for wisdom. And compassionately and lovingly, you reach out to have an honest conversation with them and call them back to God. And God works powerfully. In Colossians chapter 2, it says this, In Christ you have been brought to fullness. Verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now the shed blood of Christ here becomes our circumcision. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who also raised him from the dead. A a Christian is baptized as a public profession that they belong to Jesus. In baptism, you're saying, I'm following Jesus. Those of you who've been baptized, those of you who want to be baptized, what you're saying is, I'm following Jesus. I'm in. I'm all in. Hold me accountable. Encourage me. Speak life into me. Pray for me. And like a covenant in marriage, like the vows and rings, believers go into the water and they profess, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's, just, it's, it's simple, but it's profound. So circumcised or uncircumcised, 
in the physical body is no longer a sign of the covenant. It's Christ's shed blood. Now, I got two questions just to end, this, end all of this. Two questions to conclude our time together. The first question is very important. The second one is also important. But the first question is, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you? Have you done that? That, that Jesus died on the cross for you. That the shed blood of Jesus was given to you for the free forgiveness of your sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Second question is this. Is your relationship with God marked by a heart's desire to know and follow him? Do you have a desire to live in joyful, obedient submission to God that's rooted in faith, not rooted in all of your struggle and action because we're, if you trust in Jesus, you're in the covenant. And if you're unsure of your answer, I encourage you to talk to your small group leader. I encourage you to talk to a board member. There'll be people in the prayer garden wearing light blue vests that'll be there to pray with you. You can ask them. You can ask one of the pastors. I'm so grateful that God allows us to witness his power as we step out in obedience that's rooted in faith. Amen. Let's all stand for the benediction.